You know, there was a, this has nothing to do with what I want to talk to you tonight, but I just wanted to share it with you. But it's something that I've been studying and reading uh, these past few weeks, and it's out of the book of uh, Second Chronicles. And um, I, you know, I really, really love reading the Old Testament because there's so much that we can uh, glean from. And uh, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and especially in verse 7 and 8, this is a, just to give you a little story, uh, King Hezekiah was the king in Jerusalem, and uh, he was surrounded by the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were known to be ruthless, and whenever they captured their enemies, they would flail them alive, or they would impale them, or chop off their heads and pile them up in huge piles to send a message to the enemies. So these are the same army that was surrounding Israel. So you can imagine how the people felt they were, well, they were behind the gates. And, uh, you know, put yourself in that situation and you wonder, oh my goodness, this is my life here. But King Hezekiah had the tremendous responsibility of encouraging his people. How many of you ever tried encouraging somebody who are going through some tough times? You know, and especially if it's a very tough situation. And so he had to encourage them and he told them, be strong and be of good courage. Check this out. He said, for there's more with us than against us. Hallelujah. And you know, I've just been sitting and resting on that all week. Because, and here's what he says. In verse 8 he says, for with them are the flesh of arms. Or arms of flesh. But with us, it's just simply the Lord God. That says a whole lot. That says a whole lot. Because when you think about God, he's everything to us. So it doesn't matter what, we, what face, situation we face, he's everything. He's our protector. He's our vindicator. He's our strength. He's our peace and he's our joy. He's everything to us. And so, I mean, I, I, I'm still just meditating on that because I don't think we realize what we have. It's interesting because I, was, I went to visit a cousin of mine on Monday, and um, both my wife and I went to go visit them to, you know, to minister to them and to fellowship. And we were just having a great time of fellowship. And, and he, uh, he was telling me about a pastor friend of his who went to visit a, a, a country in Africa called Benin. It's a really small country in Africa, bordered uh, uh, by Nigeria and Togo, around that area. And, uh, you know, this, he, he came to minister the word. And he came with his Bible, he came with his suit, and he came with his iPad and everything else. And the place that he went to was a small village. It had one main road. But to get to the church, you have to get off to the side road, which was full of holes and, uh, you know, okay, it was a really rough road. It took him an hour just to get to that church. When he arrived in the church, uh, it was just a, uh, looked like a tent, but with thatch roof and with just poles. That's it. It was open and it was benches. And this, the people came to worship. And so before the service, one of the uh, uh, residents from Benin, Africa, whatever country, whatever city, town that was, a village, he uh, began to ask him about this iPad that he had. And um, the, uh, the pastor was showing him you know, his Bible software and all of the commentaries and all of the Bible dictionaries and the concordances and all of the study guides. And he was amazed. And he said, do all people in Americans have this? So, oh, yeah, most of them do. But it's interesting. There's something he said, a statement that he had made to the pastor. He says, why is it that you Americans 
who have all these uh, honeycombs, he calls it, blessings, and you trample on it. And yet here we have just a little bit of honey. And we cherish it. And we hold on to it. And we don't let it go. And you know, that got me thinking. And this was Monday, and I'm still thinking about it, which led me to share this message tonight. And the first question that was raised in my mind is, do I really know what we have? Do I, do I understand the honeycomb that God has blessed us with? And so the title of my message tonight is, Living Off My Father's Wealth. Because we need to understand that God is a rich God. Amen. Amen. But I don't think we understand that. So for us tonight to understand where we, where we are, where, what we have, we first need to understand that God is rich. And we need to know how rich God is. The second thing we need to learn tonight is how rich we are. Because of our relationship with the Father. And then the third thing that we need to learn tonight is what are we doing with the wealth that God has given us. Amen. Amen. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Hallelujah. And you know when. Um, when we talk about riches. I don't necessarily mean money and possessions. Although that is part of it. Because you know the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18. That it is God that gives us the ability to get wealth. Right. He also says in Proverbs that the, the, uh, the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. So, it's not, so there's nothing wrong with money. But you know the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away. And everything that is in the earth, that, is, that includes money and possessions. But money, it can be used in the kingdom of God. But there's so much, when we talk about riches, there's just so much more. So when we look at Ephesians chapter 3... Beginning in verse 8, it says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles, look at this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable is an interesting word because it means past finding out. Untraceable. The Amplified Version describes it this way. Unending. Boundless, fathomless, exhaustless. Hallelujah. The idea here is that the riches of God is too deep to be measured. You know, when you go to the bank and make a withdrawal in your savings, you need to make sure how much money you've got in there because you don't want to just go ahead and withdraw and and close out your bank account. So let's say you have $500. So you know you can't uh, draw out $500 unless you plan on closing it out. So you're limited to what you can do. When you make a withdrawal in God's bank account, there is no limit. He'll never run out. Because his riches are boundless. It's too deep to be measured. You can't even put a value number on it because it's so vast. But this is how rich God is. And when you look in his bank account... You see all of the wonderful things that he has. The first thing that we want to look at is how he's rich 
with peace. Go with me to Ephesians. No, I'm sorry. Psalms 72. Psalms chapter 72. Now that word he, uh, peace in the Hebrew is shalom. Which has several different meanings. It means safe, to be well, to be happy. It speaks of welfare, which includes good health, prosperity, rest. It's a whole bunch of benefits that's in that one word. And in Psalm 72, verse 7, it says this. And I'm reading this from the Amplified Version. In his, that's Christ, days shall the uncompromisingly righteous flourish and peace Abound till there is moon no longer. It simply means superabundance. And his peace, there's an abundance, there's riches. So if you want peace, you know, the Bible, uh, Paul describes peace as a uh, peace that passes all understanding, it surpasses our understanding. And Jesus talks of peace as being peace that he gives and not the peace that the world gives. A vast difference. Isaiah calls it perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusts in thee. But this is what he has in his bank account. And you know what? Every one of us in here can draw out peace and he'll still have more. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because he never runs out. So there's riches in peace. Then... He's rich in grace. Hallelujah. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Grace is that undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. I like to define it as like this. It's the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness. That's what grace is. And there is riches of grace In chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Look over the next chapter, chapter 2. Also in verse 7, it says, So that the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches or the exceeding riches of his grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now that word exceed, it comes from a root word, which means to throw beyond the usual mark. The best example I can give you, and I heard this example used the other night. Let's say, for instance, I went to Pastor Ray, and I asked that he lend me $10,000. And he gives it, you know, me the $10,000. Of course, he needs to ask his wife first, and as long as it's okay with her... He'll give it to me. So he lends me $10,000 with the understanding that I'm going to pay him back. Well, the time comes and I don't have the money to pay him. So I'm in debt to him. So I have to go to Pastor Ray and say, Pastor Ray, please forgive me. I don't have the money. I don't have enough to give you. I don't have it all. And so I, I just, all I can do is hope that he would forgive me and then give me some time. And then Joe Tremblay happens to overhear the conversation. And he goes and walks over to Pastor Ray and says, how much does he owe you anyway? And then Pastor Ray tells uh, Joe, well, he owes me $10,000. And then Joe says, I'll pay it. So Joe gets out his check and writes 
not $10,000, but $100,000. And he gives it to him. See, grace, hallelujah, is overspending when you don't deserve it. And that's what Joe did. And that's a demonstration of faith. That is the riches of grace. Hallelujah. So when Christ died on the cross, which is the highest payment that anybody can pay a debt to, he overspent what we owe him. Hallelujah. But you know what? He can afford it. He can afford it. And you know what? We're well worth it. Because the Bible says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it didn't matter to him. You know why? Because his riches is so vast. And he can afford to overspend because we're well worth it. Hallelujah. That's grace. Hallelujah. And in his bank account, there are riches of grace that we can... In, uh, first John, in, in John's gospel, the first chapter where the Bible says, uh, in the first verse he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he was, and he was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then in verse 16 it says, and if we are all filled with this grace and truth and grace on grace. In other words, in other translations, it says spiritual blessings heaped up upon spiritual blessings. And I remember talking about grace several, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and, and I used the analogy of going to the beach and, during high tides. And as you're standing before the water and you see the tides coming in, the first wave tide comes up and probably lands about maybe a few feet away from you. The next wave comes in and hits maybe halfway. The third wave that comes in hits your feet. The fourth wave comes in and not only does it surround your feet, but it also beyond your feet. And you see, grace is one grace, which is better than the last grace. And each grace that God provides is always better than the last grace. It's deeper and better than the last. Hallelujah. So we're talking about the riches of grace. And that's what he provides. Glory to God. So. He's also rich in glory. <clears throat> Go to Philippians chapter 4. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Boy, I really enjoyed praise tonight. You know, you get to a point where there's no return. But unfortunately, you have to stop and move on with the service. God is a rich God. Hallelujah. He's rich with peace, he's rich in grace, and he's rich with the unsearchable glory of the Lord. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to what? His riches in glory. Hallelujah. Notice in verse 18, Paul says, But I have all and abound. In other words, I have everything I need. And more or superabound. And so therefore he says, for my God. And notice how he, he personalizes it. He says, my God, our God shall supply all our needs. 
Not some, but all. Why? Because of the riches of God. The unsearchable, the untraceable, the boundless riches of the Lord. Hallelujah. Then we look at Romans chapter 2. Go there. Romans chapter 2. He is rich in peace. He is rich in grace. He is rich in glory. But he's also rich in goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that this unsearchable goodness of God Leads to repentance. Hallelujah. You know. In Psalms 23. In the 6th verse. It says goodness and mercy. Shall follow me. Or pursue after me. All the days of my life. And you know what. As long as you live. That goodness will continue to pursue you. And if goodness catches you. There's more goodness coming. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. He's also rich in mercy. All through the book of Psalms it says, For his mercy endures forever. And his mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. You can't get up early enough before mercy because mercy is already there to greet you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 said, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great, that word great is the same word for abound, his abundance of love with which he loved us. And 1 Peter 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Christ Jesus, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. Hallelujah. So you see, mercy is an abundance. There's so much of it that God is willing to give to us. And so, and I think you're getting the idea here how rich God is. So we have a wealthy father. So how do we live off his wealth? Well, let's look in, go to Luke chapter 15. When I heard that story about this person from Benin who was talking to this pastor and how he uh, said that we trample on the blessings that God has provided us. He called it honeycomb. And and he was referring to all of the vast resources that we have in this country. We have um, concordances. We have commentaries. We have, you know, if if you want to hear the word, all you got to do is either turn on the TV, turn on the radio, go into your iPad or your computer Get your CD, get your DVD, get your books. We've got it all. And yet we tend to trample or take advantage, or I should say maybe take it for granted, what we have. And that's what he was saying. And so that, again, that raises the question, my goodness, do I really know what I have? And do I appreciate what I have? And I'll tell you, it was really sobering for me. And I had to ask that question myself. But again, it has to, first of all, we have to understand how rich God is. 
And the thing is, is that, again, there are many believers in the body of Christ who don't quite know what they have. In Luke chapter 15, we see an example of the prodigal son. And you know the story, so I'm not going to get right into it, but you know how the young son took his inheritance and decided to leave and squander all of his wealth in, in sinful living. And, um, and he ended up being destitute and homeless. And he finally came to a sense and, and he said, you know what, I'm going back home. And so he comes home and before he even gets home, his father sees him afar off, runs out to him, embraces him because he's so happy to see him. And then he was given the best robe and he was given a ring and they went out and killed the fatted calf and had a party. But it's the older brother that I want to bring to your attention. Because after seeing the commotion and hearing all the dancing and the singing, he said, what is going on? So he asked one of his servants, what's going on? I said, well, your brother's home. You know, and, 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 he, you know, and, and your father's happy and everybody's happy. You know, it, it's almost as if he didn't do anything. It's almost as if he never squandered anything. That's God's grace and mercy. But the brother did not get that. And so he was grumbling and getting all upset. And the father said, son, why are you upset? Your brother's home. You should be happy. He was lost, but now he's found. He was blind, but now he sees. You know, it's, it's great. But the brother did not get that. So the father began to talk to him. Because one of, the th- one of his complaints was this. Listen, dad, I've been with you all of these years. I've been faithful to you. I've obeyed all of your commandments. I've respected you and I've respected your home. I was responsible with my money. I never squandered it like my brother. I didn't do this and I didn't do that like my brother. I can't even get a, a, a goat and have a party with my friends. But this is what I want you to see, uh, see here. In verse 31, the father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. God's wealth is our wealth. His riches are our riches. And there are many believers in the body of Christ that are going around acting like they're in spiritual poverty. Not realizing that they're rich and they're wealthy because of our God. We talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ And we've been given and now have access to this abundant supply of his unsearchable riches. And here's what I want you to see here. If we need to extend mercy to someone, we have no excuse because we have an abundant supply. If we want to extend grace to someone, we have no excuse because we have an abundant supply. If we want to forgive someone, we have no excuse. Because we have an abundant supply of grace and mercy to forgive. If we need wisdom, we have an abundant supply of wisdom. And you see, we have this heavenly bank account that we can draw on because what's his is ours. So when he's rich, we're rich. And we need to understand that. And we need to take advantage of it, not trample over it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. It's so much so, and again, this was Paul's prayer. It was Paul's prayer because apparently he ran into the same situation where there are many believers who were in spiritual poverty. And so his prayer was in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Are you there? He says, I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and that you may know what are the riches of the glory or the glorious wealth of his inheritance in the saints. Hallelujah. Let me read you something else. Go to Romans quickly, Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. We know how rich God is. Now I want to show you how rich we are. Romans chapter 10, are you there? And in verse 12, okay, I still hear pages turning. That's all right, I extend grace. Romans 10 verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is what? Rich unto all that call upon his name. So when we say rich, we're talking about having abundance. Glory to God. Ephesians 1, 3 says, For we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That word all means every spiritual blessing that are in heaven is ours. Hallelujah. We are, you know something? We are the wealthiest person or the wealthiest people on this earth. Having heard of the riches that has been stored upon us, we need to know that. We are the richest people on this earth. So if we know that, then what do we do with this riches that we have? What do we do with it? In the same way that Christ enriched us, we are to also take those riches and enrich others. Yes. Amen. Amen. Go to Luke. Chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> Christ became rich towards us so that we can be rich towards God and towards others. And let me just say this. If we're not using his wealth to enrich others, then we're simply misusing the riches that God's provided us. Luke chapter 12, Jesus was teaching on covetousness and greed. And he used the parable of the rich fool. And, uh, you know, I don't have time to get into all it, to read it all, but here's what he said. The story goes where the rich, this rich guy had all of these grains and uh, he didn't have enough barn space to put them in. So he decided to tear down all of his barn and build new ones. And so now that he did that, now he was able to store all of his grains into the storehouses. And now he says, now I can relax, take it easy, and drink, eat, and be merry. Then God says, thou fool, this day your life is required of you. Now where will all of these things go? Who will it be passed on to? And look what he says in verse 21. He says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Let me read something else to you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
have a wealthy God who's made us wealthy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. So bear with me. For you are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and spiritual blessings in that though he was so very rich, yet for your sakes he became so very poor. In order that by his poverty you might become enriched, abundantly supplied to be increased with goods. So basically what Paul is saying is that, he, he, that Christ became poor for us so that we can become rich. The moment Christ became poor was when he came down from heaven. Philippians chapter 2 says it where he stripped himself of his former glory, took upon himself the form of man and the form of a servant and made himself nothing. That's when he made himself poor so that we can become rich. So today... Christ is now back on the throne, rich, and we share the same riches with him because of his poverty. And so, again, just to let you know, we are rich just as God is. His wealth is our wealth. Now, what do we do with it? Are we going to be like the rich fool who hoarded all of his stuff and enriched himself or take what God has given us and enrich others? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. When I think about this, I think about the time when Peter and John, at the very young stage of their apostles' ministry, apostolic ministry, uh, they were on their way to pray in the temple. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 3. And um, as they were on their way to pray, they saw a lame man in front of the temple. And of course, he was begging for, for money. That was his living because he couldn't walk. Every day his family member would take him there every day, put him in that same spot where he can make a living. And as Peter and John saw him, the layman looked expecting to receive something from him. And then Peter says, silver and gold have I none. In other words, I don't have any money to give you. But this I do have. And in the name of Jesus Christ, And just mentioning that name, the man jumped up and had life in his legs and began dancing and jumping and praising God. You talk about someone enriching other people's lives. Peter and John had that opportunity and he enriched their lives just by the mere mention of the name of Jesus. Even though they didn't have any money. Now I'm sure if he had money, they may have given it to him. But listen to this. They didn't give what he wanted. They gave what he needed. And so they enriched his life. And his whole life took a whole new meaning. Second Timothy, or First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 says, Instruct them to do what? Do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves, verse 19, the treasure of a good foundation for the future... So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You remember in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus says, when I was sick, you visited me? Yeah. 
When I was in prison, you came to me. When I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And on and on and on. And, and the disciple says, Lord, when do we do this? And he says, unto the least of these, my people or my brethren, you've done it unto me. Anytime you have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone. Well, look at it like this. Whenever you have an opportunity to in, uh, enrich someone. Know who you are. Know what you have. And enrich that person's life. Because whatever you have comes from the source. Even if it's money or possession. If we understand and get a hold of the fact that we are rich. And our father is wealthy. And even though we may spend everything we have. We know we have a source that we can go to. To withdraw more. Because his bank account is limitless. But I want you to understand that if you get a hold of this, then giving will never be a problem for you. I said giving will never be a problem for you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's one of my favorite verses. I think I say that every time I'm up here. Second Corinthians chapter nine. In verse eight, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound or superabound towards you. That you always say that word always, always, always having all sufficiency in all things may abound. To every good work. Now notice it didn't stop when it says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you may, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. It doesn't stop there. But that you may abound in every good work. Let me give you a little example here. In my hand, I have two glasses. I've got one full of honey. I've got one that's empty. This empty glass are needs. This full glass is an abundance. Anytime you have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone, what you do is you take what you have, you take from your abundance, fill that person's cup, and he walks away blessed. In the meantime, God is filling your cup so you can have sufficiency. Then when somebody else comes along with an empty cup, you fill their cup. And they walk away blessed. In the meantime, God is filling up your cup. So that you'll always have sufficiency in all things. So that you can abound in every good work. So every time you have an opportunity to fill someone's cup, realize that while you're filling their cup, God is filling yours. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Right? And so the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Good measure shall God cause men to give unto your bosom. My wife and I, we we came in agreement because we wanted to purchase something. But we were determined not to go in debt. 
But we had some of the money, but we didn't have it all. So we looked at each other and said, well, you know what? We're going to have to go to our Heavenly Father and trust Him to supply. I don't know how He's going to do it. But we trusted in the Lord. So we went and praised the Lord. We prayed this prayer. So Lord, we're tithers. We bring in your tithes every week. We're faithful givers. And so Lord, would you, I, I believe that you're going to honor us. Your word is to give and it shall be given unto us. And so we stood on our faith and upon those principles. This week, was it this week, hon? This week we got a letter stating that we are going to receive over $300. Um, without going into any details, but over $300 that we did not expect. But it was just enough for what we wanted to purchase. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> and you know, there's so many stories that we can tell you about how God always makes sure that you have sufficiency in all things. So when every, again, we are rich. And whenever we see our brother or our sister in, in, in a need, we should not hesitate. But we should take that opportunity to fill their cup and enrich their lives. Because while we're doing that, God is doing that for us. See, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. So don't be afraid to give. Even if it's up, whether it's your money, your possession, or your time, or your skills. God will always see to it that you have sufficiency in all things. God will make sure that you have enough. That's why Paul says, I have all and I abound. And then he says in the next verse, for my God shall supply all my needs. See, Paul understood this principle. He said, I have enough. I have more than enough. But see, this is what I love about God. God just doesn't give you enough. He gives you more than enough. That's why he's called El Shaddai, the almighty God. In some translations, the God that is more than enough, or the many-breasted one, the one who nourishes all, the one who nurtures all. But that's the God that we serve. And we have to understand that He is a rich God, and therefore that makes us rich. And so now we have the means to enrich others. So I want to encourage you. Take what you have. Don't trample over it. Take what you have. And minister to someone. Fill their cup. Enrich their lives and watch their lives change because of what you provided. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We are rich in love. <laughs> Go to First Peter chapter four. <clears throat> As I get ready to close. 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse 8 it says, Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offense of others. I was reading something today. About a husband and wife was having an argument. It was getting heated. So the wife decided, you know what? Let's stop doing this. Let's write down our feelings. Let's just write down everything that we feel about each other. Thinking that this will sort of, you know, cut back on the, on the arguing and everything else. So they went and got papers. They began to write. 
And they began to write their feelings towards each other. And as the wife was writing, she looked at her husband and writes again. And then she noticed that her husband was watching her and then writing. And he looked up at her and write again. And each time he would look up at her, he would, get, he would look angry. He would look at her and he would write again. And he looks again. Look back up again. And his wife was noticing this. And, says, and now she's getting upset here. And she, you know, I mean, she's written and she's like, take up a whole page, just a whole page. He went the front page and the back. And each time she, he did that, he would look up and he'd just get even more angrier. And he'd just write some more. Finally, they were done and they, ex- they exchanged the paper. She looked at his, his paper and she felt so convicted. And she felt so bad. Because when she was reading, she said, I'm angry, but I still love you. You make me so angry, but I love you. I don't want to be here, but I love you. And he's going on and on and on just like that. And she saw that. I said, wow. And you know what? At that point, she didn't want to fight anymore. Because you see, that's the power of love. So when you can love somebody, no matter how angry you are, no matter what that person may have said or done to you, and still be able to love them. And you see, we're rich with love. We have the ability to love, even to the unlovely. We have that because there are so much riches. They're available. And the Bible says that God has shed abroad in our hearts His love by the Holy Ghost. So what's your excuse? You've got to love me whether you like it or not. <laughs> but it's easy to love me. Try loving somebody who don't like you. But what I'm trying to say is this. We don't have any excuses. We have an abundant supply of everything that we need on this earth. And we're to take those riches and enrich others. Be a blessing to others. Fill their cup and take every opportunity to do so. Now, having said that, it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. That's right, Pastor Mike. I'm, I'm so happy. It's a great sermon. But wait till that happens. Now, what do you do? When the opportunity arises, what will you do? Fill the cup. Enrich someone. Be a blessing. And then watch God continuously enrich you. It's a never-ending cycle. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've given to us. Father, we will not trample on the honeycomb that you've provided for us, but we will take it and enrich others and share it with others. Father, we thank you for being so wealthy. Thank you, Father God, for providing all of our needs. Thank you, my God, for everything you've ever done and everything that you will ever do in our lives, Father God. And Lord, for every opportunity that we have to enrich others, Father God, we will do so without hesitation, without reservation. Because, Lord, you've given this to me in order to give to others. And so, Father, we thank you for the abundant supply of all that we've ever needed and wanted. And so, Father, we thank you today. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, opening up our minds, and giving us understanding of how to use your wealth. And for this, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray.